We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the Tweet Machine. You guys know where to follow me at, at Mike Dugar. That's M-I-K-E-D-U-G-A-R. Also, shout out to all of our YouTube subscribers. Uh, Seahawks Man to Man on YouTube is the channel. That's the number two man. Chris Hollab. What is up, everybody? This is your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206 and at CKID206. This is our midweek episode where we usually have a guest. And I promise we do have a guest. Uh, that'll be in the second part of the show. We're going to break this one up. Uh, me and Chris kind of decided, like, hey, I can't have a defensive performance like that and not address the questions that you guys have. I know you guys had questions after the Detroit game as well. But through four weeks, it sounds like there are some some questions that people have and some concerns specifically about the defense. Um, we're not just going to rail on the defense here. We're just going to, you know, spend a few minutes trying to solve a question that I feel like everyone has, whether media fans or hell, probably even some of the players and coaches. And that question is, where does the defense go from here? Um, they are particularly bad in a few areas. The run defense has been an issue. They're giving up a, excuse me, they're giving up a, a decent amount of explosive plays. Um, the passing defense has been inconsistent. Um, the, the pass rush has been very uh, problematic. They're just, they're just a lot. There's just a lot going on. And there's very th- few things working right consistently. You know, one of the words that Jordan Brooks used after the game when talking to me, just like, we're just inconsistent. You know, we have a good drive, then a bad drive. Or a good drive, good drive, bad drive, bad drive. We just need to have more good drives in a row. And he's right. Um, so, but they clearly aren't doing that. So, Chris, let's try to crack this conundrum um, here. Uh, where, do, as the Seahawks prepare to face New Orleans on Sunday, what 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 can change? What needs to change? So there's a couple of things, and it starts with moving as a unit. Everyone has to be on the same page. Going back and watching the game again, the All 22, that is, you could see there are certain spots on the field that were question marks, meaning guys aren't sure they're supposed to be here. They're just unaware. Another thing is fill for the game. We talked about this off wax over the phone, getting a feel, knowing, okay, 
If I don't see something here, I can move this way. For example, if you're a linebacker and there's no one in your zone, maybe get the feel that, okay, maybe there's something behind me. Take a step back. Just you got to be aware of what's going on around you. And that goes for safety. That goes for everything. And then you look at the D-line. They have to figure out how to get more pressure on the quarterback. Because right now, we talked about it last episode, terrible at the pass rush. It's not good right now. But it can be fixed. And maybe that's simple as sending more pressure. Although they sent pressure against the Lions and it ultimated in touchdowns. That can't happen. If you're going to send a blitz somewhere, it has to be covered. That way you don't give up explosive plays. So there's a lot wrong, but there's also solutions that can be aided to help this team. And I think they have the personnel to do it, but they just have to all A, be on the same page, and they got to know what's going on. When a play is called, know your responsibility and complete it. If you can do those things, I promise you this defense will definitely be much better. Will they still have issues here and there tackling players? Sure, because some dudes are just good at certain things, maybe making dudes miss, because they get paid too on the offensive end. I understand that. But for the most part, I don't think we've seen a, a team that has played together for four quarters. They did it in the first quarter against the Lions, and then things just went haywire. The old things started keeping back in, and players weren't making plays that they were accustomed to making in that first quarter. So going up against the Saints on Sunday, it's very important that these guys are all on the same page. They all are aware of what their responsibilities are. Coaches, defensive coordinators, get creative and send Kobe Brown on the blitz. Catch the deep, the offense off guard. Something they haven't seen on film. And maybe to Ken Norton's point, maybe drop some fat men in the coverage. Now, hopefully these guys are all on the same page and you don't drop two dudes in the coverage and you have two dudes rushing. That, you don't want to see that happen. I think that was against the Steelers, was it, Mike, last year? Yeah, that was that was a bust. They weren't supposed to both drop. But yeah, exactly. So, and Puna both dropped on that. And that was Not good. Rush, rush two, drop nine coverage. <laughs> Can't have that. You want to be able to communicate things and get it done precise. And if they can do that, I think on Sunday you'll see a better output on the defense. And if not, it might be the same problem we've seen through the first four weeks. But hopefully the Seahawks get it right. I would love to see some change here on the defense. But I definitely think creating different type of blitzes and sending guys and trying to cover up areas where they're struggling can help, especially with that pass rush. Yeah, I think I think being a, being more aggressive is an option. I know we talked about that last year, uh, where I was kind of suggesting that they kind of take a they take a uh, a page out of the Saints. No, it was it was the Ravens. Ravens. They, they just out of the Ravens, bro. Because the Ravens used to just, hey man, send the house. God bless, you know. Force, which is kind of what the Lions do too. But it's like a feast or famine way of playing defense, which it can work. Um, and you you still have to combine that with some pass rush. You have to have good blitzers. Like it isn't just like send pressure and then it fixes everything. Like you have to have certain type of pressures. You have to disguise everything. Um, but like I think the Seahawks are. I'm looking at it right now. They're 27th in, in um. Oh no, that's pressure rate. Sorry, they're 27th in pressure rate though, which is bad. Uh, that just means you're not pressuring the quarterback, like you alluded to. Um, but they also don't blitz very much. They are. Let's see. Let me look this up while I'm doing it. They're 25th in blitz rate. At about 19% of the time, the league average is about 25.6%. So they're they're a pretty significant dip from the league average. Um, and just blitzing doesn't make you a great defense. For example, the Cardinals kind of stink on defense, and they blitz at the third highest rate. In the league. <laughs> right? So, you know, the Lions blitz at the fifth highest rate, and their defense stinks. So, again, it's not just as simple as send pressure. You have to send calculated pressure, send the right guys, time it up correctly, have guys who can cover on the back end. 
um, to kind of mask that. The one thing that they should avoid is what I'm learning in this business that all defensive guys really hate is cover zero. I'm learning that D DBs are just not a fan of cover zero, you know, where there's no safety help. So you do want to avoid that. But I do think getting that number up to maybe league average uh, would be nice. So you probably, like I said, they're about 19%. Get that up to 25. Blitz a, blitz a quarter of the time. I think that'll help. I think that that number will also likely go up if they're in a lot more third and longs because then you can dial up some of those blitzes. Kind of hard to dial some shit up on third and three. You know, you probably don't. You know what I mean? You just don't have that many because you can get burned by the run. Yeah. You know, on, on third and three, and well, even third and third and four, depending on who the team is. Hell, the Seahawks scored a touchdown on a third and five run and third and sixteen. So, listen. To, but I do think just getting aggressive, more aggressive in general, uh, will help. I do think it's time to open up all possibilities to get the best eleven guys on the field, mm. and that you can tell the Seahawks tried a little bit of that when I was rewatching the film. I caught something that I didn't even notice initially is that after the TJ Hawkinson um, big catch and run, they pulled Josh Jones. Um, and Ryan Neal was like the starting safety next to Quandre in their regular package, not like a dime package or a nickel. It was, it was just Ryan out there with Cody and with um, Kobe and then Jordan and in the whole secondary. So, um, and I don't know if that was out of frustration on Clint Hurts part or whatever, just like, hey, get this guy out of here or something like that. I'm not really sure. Um, but the goal should always be get the best 11, whoever that is. You know, if that's if that means Jordan Brooks, the only linebacker on the field, well, then God bless. It's Jordan Brooks, the only linebacker on the field. They they toyed with a little bit of that. Um, and yeah. I asked Carol about it on Wednesday or today, and he he didn't talk too much about it, probably just because he's they're still gathering information, doesn't want to give too much of the game plan away. But that personnel package was their big nickel. Um, I forget what they call it. I think it's called – it might be called a penny or a dollar package, maybe. Um, because I think they might call it the peso package. What's a peso? Is peso a dollar? That's I mean, I'm pretty I can Google it. I'm pretty dollar? sure you're right. Yeah, I think it's the Mexican dollar. So it might just be yeah, like it's, it's yeah, it's the Mexican dollar. Yeah, it's the Mexican dollar. So I think the, the yeah, it's the it's the peso package, I guess. Uh, but then there's like a there's that the big nickel that they used was like Uchenna, Daryl Taylor, Puna, Big Al. And then like Shelby, and then you have Kobe Bryant, Michael Jackson, Tariq Woolen, a safety, and Quandre, and then Jordan Brooks. So that that kind of swaps the nickel in place of Cody Barton. Um, and then you you basically can run all your same stuff as long as your run fits are fine, uh, which is what Pete Carroll kind of alluded to when I was asking about it today. It was like the main thing is the front. It's a five-down front, so we have to be able to play it a certain way if we only have one inside linebacker. Yeah, that's dangerous. That can, get, that can get kind of tricky. Then you're asking Kobe to be in a lot of the, you know, the, a lot more run, maybe not a lot more run fits, but he definitely has a job fitting the run. Same thing with your, your safeties there. I think that's an option, just whatever it is. You got a toy with getting the best 11, whoever that is. That means pulling. That means more often you have six DBs on the field, but those are your 11 best players. Play them. You know, if that means maybe bigger personnel, uh, because those are your 11 best guys, play them. Cause I think we've talked about this before. Um, I usually used to talk about this in the context of like uh, like Trey Flowers or your number two corner, whoever it was. And defense, sometimes you're only as good as your 11th guy. It's not your best guy. Like when I look at the Niners defense in particular, which is wreaking havoc across the league, it's not just because they have Nick Bosa, though he does lead the league in sacks and he's very good. But like there aren't many weak spots on that Niners defense either. 
you know, who's the 11th best guy in the Niners starting lineup? You know, that's it's very hard to tell when they play their base defense, you know, because you can try to throw it on Traverius Ward or you can try to throw it on Emmanuel Mosley. You can try to run it at Dre Greenlaw or Fred Warner. You can try to throw it at uh, what's my man's name? Polynesian dude that you spotted out. How how funga. Yeah, you can try to throw it on him. You can try to throw it on uh, Gibson Sr., their, their other safety. They just, they're just good all around, and you get to it it's like their weakest dude might be one of their D tackles or something, and that's it. But if that's like your weakest guy, then your defense is probably really good. Most you should grade defenses on that. Like sometimes your, your 10th and 11th guy is really just as important as your, your number one or your number two. You know, you look at that TJ Hawkinson catch and run, you know, he gets by two guys. He gets by Josh, and then he gets by like by Cody. Now, sometimes it's simple as just making a play. It you know might not be an indictment of who they are as players necessarily, but like if you're if those let's say those are your tenth and eleventh guys, well, if those tenth and eleven guys make that play, then that's a five yard game instead of eighty. And which goes to my next thing that they need to that I think they need to be more aggressive with their pressures because right now the pressure like blitzing because the pressure rate is just not there. The pass rush is not non-existent and that's another where you got to get your best four guys up there no matter who the hell it is i don't care if your four best dudes rushing the pass are brian monet al woods puna ford and miles adams that's four defensive tackles don't care that's your four you got to put your four out there because right now in terms of just pure pass rush situations and putting them numbers it's uchenna and wasu and then pretty much quentin jefferson that, that's it. That's all the guys who are consistently getting pressure on the quarterback. Let me look at these pressure numbers while I'm while I'm talking here. It's just that that's been an issue. You can't do anything if you can't pressure the quarterback. I don't care who the hell you have on there. The Legion of Boom would have been gar- not garbage, but they would have been a mediocre defense at best without pressure. Yeah. Without quarterback. There's no way. I don't care how how great Sherm, Cam, or all those. They can cover forever. Right. They couldn't, you know, it was easier to do what they was doing because me Bain was getting there because Chris Clemens and Mike and Mike B and Cliff uh, were all harassing, you know, the quarterbacks. So I think that that's, that's the next thing the, the the main thing in general, as I'm saying, get your best dudes on the field, no matter who that is. Cause usually Chris, as you know, they try to find like, all right, who's my best three technique. Who's yeah. my best outside linebacker. All right. I need a certain amount of inside backers. Screw that. Find the best 11 dudes and say, you guys are going to play a lot of snaps together. Figure it the hell out and then get off the field, you know, because they're they're just not getting off the field at a high rate. They're not pressuring at a high rate. They're not forcing punts at a high rate. Nothing's really being done at a high level. You're just getting random, individually great moments where it's a Q Jefferson sack or an Al Woods tackle for loss or Tariq Willen interception or Kobe Bryant's forced two fumbles like – that they need to do that because I think if you get the best eleven, you'll bring down their explosive numbers. Chris, you want to hear their their, their numbers in terms of uh, explosive plays? You my guess is they've given up over twenty explosive plays through four games. That's my guess. So explosive plays are defined as plays where a pass is sixteen yards or more mm-hmm. and a run, run 12. twelve yards or more. So I just want to throw that out there because you see people use different numbers, but those are kind of the standard around the league yep. uh, when people say like I- explosives. So the Seahawks are. I want to say 31st. Oh, Texans are worse, right? <laughs> uh, no, I think I think the uh, – oh, hold on. I had it pulled up here. It's it's really bad. Like, they, they give up explosive plays at a pretty high rate. Let's see. Explosive play percentage, 
they give up explosive plays at the second highest rate in the league. Do you, do you want to guess who's number one? It's not the Texans. I give you one guess. The Jags? Uh, no. The Jags? Jags actually defense is like okay. Flipped around, right? Because they're playing yeah. pretty good football. Okay, yeah, like my the, last guess. Damn, who is it? Texans are really bad. One. You just take another. Oh, game. how about the Raiders? It is not the Raiders. Okay, um, I give up. Not. Who is it? They're about, they're about mediocre. Oh, it's probably regard. the Lions. I don't know why I kept. It's probably the Lions. Hey man, I was only supposed to give you one guess. <laughs> just sneak three in there. It's, <laughs> the answer is the Arizona Cardinals, man. Another terrible defense. Are the, okay. yeah, they're they're pretty bad. I think in terms of the, I think the Seahawks are giving up an explosive play, fifteen percent of the time. <laughs> That is very high. That's like one out of every eight or something snaps or something like that is an explosive play for the other team. That's very – it's just hard to get off the field in that scenario because if you're giving up an explosive play 15% of the time, they're getting across midfield. And if you're getting across midfield, then they're in some type of scoring position where like it's not. Uh, in terms of just raw explosive play numbers, the Texans are number one in just total explosive plays allowed. They've given up 40. <laughs> That's <laughs> why you love the Texans like that, man. Because that is egregious, man. No, you yeah. played four games. If you do the math, yeah. that's ten a game. <laughs> that's ten explosives a game. No, that means they're giving that. That's that. That's pretty bad. <laughs> um, the the Seahawks though are number two. The Seahawks and the Lions have given up thirty eight apiece, which is pretty close to ten a game too. So that's 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 the number you got to focus on. Oh man! Like if, if, if I'm the Seahawks in defensive meetings on Wednesday. Because usually the players get the game plan like Wednesday morning when they show up. If I get the game plan, I'm, I, I tell the Seahawks players, look, the number we're trying to get down is 38. We give up 38 explosives. Okay, how can we eliminate the explosives? Let's go look at 38 of them, see where the issues are, and attack. Penalties are a problem, but that this number doesn't include penalties. The biggest issue is stopping the run. Uh, that that well, actually, the biggest issue is the passes. Uh, they've given up 26 explosive five plays. <laughs> Jesus, uh, yeah, no, the, num- I was say, the numbers are not great, like it, they're really not great. I think uh, they've, I think I can count on my fingers how many times I've seen third and third and long. We'll just say third and long, and it's been a first down. Yeah, is there's yeah, their, their third down conversion rate isn't super great either, but I would focus on the explosives. Well, how do you limit the explosive? One of them is tackling, um, but the other one. Uh, I think is just having guys like you said who have that feel and then getting pressure on the quarterback. It's really hard to give up an explosive play when there's pressure on the quarterback. Yeah. So I, that, that that's what it comes down to for me. Getting your best 11 on the field and cutting down those explosives, man. And they might have to make some hard decisions with like guys who are making a lot of money or guys who are high draft picks in the past. You can't really worry about that right now when your defense is is allowing the numbers that it's allowing. You have to say, yeah. I don't care where you were drafted. I don't care if you were drafted at all. I don't care what we paid you in free agency. I don't care what we traded to get you, yada, yada, yada. If you're one of our best 11, you will play. And you will play a lot. And you will play more often than anyone else. I think it has to be that that simple. And those those guys all have to be on the same page. I don't think the scheme has to change too much. I don't think they have to adjust the fronts or you know, switch to a different coverage. I think their cover six stuff is fine. Their cover nine stuff is fine. Like there's going to be beaters for every coverage. It doesn't really matter. It's the, it's the execution to me. And it's the execution. You need guys out there who are going to make plays. And through four games, it's not been good enough. 38, Chris Jones fell out your chair laughing at 38. Number. That is like insane, that you man. <laughs> you just can't. That's a lot of explosives, man. You can't get off the field with that many explosives. That's the number for me. Explosive plays, explosive plays, explosive plays. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Get your best 11 on the field. And get and uh and limit those explosive plays so you can get off the field as fast as possible. 
Well, there it is. Mike and I have given the Seahawks sort of a blueprint. And I'm that is the blueprint, baby. Get off the field. Pretty much. And I'm sure the Seahawks are definitely working towards that goal to get off the field because they're gonna play better offenses than Detroit. Which is, I guess, one of the actually not, maybe not. Yeah, not, not many. I, not I, I, I lie. I forgot. Detroit's one of the best offenses in the league this season so far through four games. But they're gonna play teams that have elite receivers, that have a good run game. And the Seahawks defensively have to figure out who their best guys are. They have to disguise certain blitzes and sending different things to make teams uncomfortable. And so far, no team that they face has felt uncomfortable. And that needs to change. And hopefully that starts Sunday against the New Orleans Saints. 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time kickoff. Mike will be freezing his buns off, rumor rumor has it. So that'll be that. Uh, Mike, anything else you want to add before we get out of here, man? Uh, yes. Before we uh, toss it to um, our guests that we're going to have to talk about that Saints game, the Seahawks are actually, their offense is number one in explosive play rate uh, at 15, at 14.9. So essentially 15%. So they're giving up explosive plays 15% of the time and then generating them 15% of the time. It's fascinating. Fascinating. <laughs> like crazy how that works. <laughs> yeah. The lions are actually number two um, in explosive play rate. So the, 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 the lions have gotten a lot of explosive plays. Look at so. that. Two of the most explosive offenses just lighting it up. See, that could have been a great Thursday night game, Mike. Oh yeah. I was just thinking that the, the, uh, when I was watching the highlights of the other game or Sunday night, excuse me. This, the Seahawks Lions in primetime would have been a great call. Come on, man. <laughs> and you were laughing at me. You were like, ah, Chris, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, no, I wasn't. Yeah, that would have been an excellent uh, primetime uh, game. That would that have been great. Yeah, the Seahawks lead the league in explosive play percentage in rushing, like r- explosive plays on the ground. And part Shout of that is Rashad Penny. Yeah, yeah, part of that is employing Rashad Penny because that boy can take he can take to the house from anywhere. Uh, but that's what we have on the defense. I know that's Everyone wants us to just like cut the heads off of certain players they don't like and just throw them out and trade for all new ones. It doesn't really work like that. Sometimes you have to adjust what you have first before you yeah. go to the trade market or free agency. Um, well, Chris, let's get into our guests. And let's, yes. Let's, uh, let's, let's talk about the Saints and uh, where the Seahawks can make it two in a row this weekend in New Orleans. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. 
Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, Chris, now let's jump into the Seahawks opponent uh, this Sunday. They are playing the New Orleans Saints, uh, of course. And to talk about the New Orleans Saints, we have a special guest on the program. We have Nick Underhill of NewOrleans.Football joining the show. Nick, welcome to the Seahawks Man-to-Man podcast. How are you? Good, sir. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me. We are going to jump right in here with, uh, before we make a pick, actually, because we've had, been having our, our guests make picks early in the show. We got some injury updates here so we can kind of save ourselves a little bit. So what do you got on these three guys? Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas, and Jameis Winston. So Alvin, I think, is going to play. He talked today, said he's good to go. He's not usually someone that that lies or, you know, covers stuff up. So it sounds like he's going to play this week. And he's actually kind of putting a lot on himself to kind of correct a lot of the issues they're going through. So I think having his leadership back is going to be a big thing for them this week. Mike Thomas did not practice today, still battling the toe injury. Kind of looking at it, kind of based on what I'm hearing, I, I don't think it's a, a major significant injury, but I would maybe bet today if you ask me to on him not playing just on, on some of the stuff that, that people are saying behind the scenes. And I highly, highly, highly doubt Jameis plays this week or maybe even next week. He's got those four fractures in his back. I was told his ankle injuries actually even a bigger issue than the back right now. So I think they're going to keep him sidelined definitely this week and let him get healthy. So it looks like Andy Dalton will be starting a quarterback. Oh, man, um, you know, it's bad if the ankle injury is bad, worse than four fractures. Uh, in your yeah, back. <laughs> your ankles in a in a bad spot. All right. So the three of us are all going to make predictions uh, with that context in mind. Thank you for that. Nick, we will kick things off with you as our guest. Who do you have this Sunday? Man, it's it's tough. You know, I think the Saints are, are a really talented team that just keeps finding ways to beat themselves and. It's tough to win football games when you're fumbling the ball. They've already fumbled more times this year than they did all last year. Fumbles lost. Um, they keep having false start penalties. It, it's, it's kind of a little bit of a, a mess right now, and it kind of feels like the opposite for Seattle. I think if the Saints can figure everything out, they have the talent, and they should be able to win this game. But until they actually do those things, I, I can't pick them. So I think Seattle, if you know, just, just betting, that's where I would put my money. And the other weird thing about this game the Saints really don't have home field advantage anymore. They've been bad in the Superdome for the last few years. They've been a better road team than home team. So even coming back home isn't something that you can necessarily say is going to fix all their woes. So until they figure all that stuff out, you, you just can't pick them because they're playing themselves as much as the opponent. Yeah, and then they've been losing on top of the fumbles and penalties. Special teams have been an issue as well, yeah. hasn't it? Yeah, it's been, it's been tough. They, they didn't see a fake punt coming. They're... Missing field goals, 12 men on the field. Deontay Hardy, a former all-pro returner, just really hasn't. I think he has like eight return yards on punts this year. It's Damn. it's just nothing's really going right for them. And, I, you know, honestly, I think they're kind of having a little bit of trouble post-Sean Payton, just, just finding the right level of, of accountability and all that stuff. And I think Dennis Allen will eventually figure that out. But they do got to find a way to create more pressure. And it's just really, you know, a lot of the stuff that, that used to kind of be their calling cards and special teams was one of them. Like, they have multiple roster spots for guys that just do special team stuff. They place a high em emphasis on it. And it's just not been good. So they're not good on special teams right now. They're not good on offense right now. Their defense is really good, but not great in the way they're playing. Like they got to be elite. So it's just a lot of stuff to figure out, um, you know, but all it takes, I think is, is for it to click and they should be a much better team than they are, but it's just, they, they, they're not there right now. 
All right, Chris, you're on the spot next. Who you got this weekend? I'm also going to roll with the Seahawks. I think they can come. If the offense plays the way they did against the, the Lions, against the same way they do against the Saints, I think that's going to be a huge opportunity for Geno to have another great week. So I'm going to go there. Defense, hopefully they can figure some things out. If not, I'll be wrong about, about this prediction. But I do think the offense can sustain a little bit of what we saw last week against Detroit. But I don't know how much, but I do think the Seahawks have a slight advantage advantage coming off of a, a high and a big win against the Lions. Even though they had some banged up guys, I do think the Seahawks can maintain it. All right. So at the athletic, we have to do like expert picks every week. Do a loose definition of expert there. I think I've already picked the Saints in that. Uh, so I don't know whether I can switch on that. I'm going to have to hit up the, the homie Andrew to see if I can. <laughs> now I'm a little worried there. I knew that the Saints had some issues. I was actually listening um, to the podcast you guys did, I think, yesterday um, after, you know, coming back from London. Man, that sounds like a team that's got a lot of issues. <laughs> uh, so yeah. I think I'm going to see if I can switch because I think I like Seattle too now. I think I'm a little, little nervous with all those injuries um, as well, even though Kamara coming back is big. So I'll take Seattle as well. So we're all in, I think this Chris is the first week we're all, all on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> See, I I think I'm 0 and 4 in this scenario. So all right. Maybe maybe we should all bet the uh, Saints then. If that's I'm I'm probably in the same place with the Saints right now. So uh don't bet on anything I say either because I've been wrong about everything. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what my pick my record is on the expert picks thing. Someone else tracks it, but I know I'm 0 and 4 uh picking on the <laughs> podcast. So you guys take that. Uh, for what it is but let, with our picks in mind let's let's dive into some stuff that's going to define the matchup um, Nick you're new to the program my favorite thing to do when we have um, someone who covers the opponent is always focus on the quarterback and ask them one simple question is so-and-so good um, I was going to ask you both about Jameis and Andy but if, if we're pretty confident it'll be Andy I'll skip the Jameis one and just throw it to you Nick take this wherever you want to is Andy Dalton good you know right now I I think he might be the guy they need to get their, their offense going. So I don't know, you know, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say he's, he's bad. I think he's serviceable and I think that's all they really need. If they can do that and fix the other stuff, I think that that's, that's what they need. And in a weird way, like I think this offense is, is better built for him than Jameis just because Jameis isn't someone that like ever checks down. So Alvin really doesn't get any use when Jameis is a quarterback and that's like their best weapon. So I think he can get the ball to him. They didn't throw any slants in the first, what, three games when, when Jameis was out there. Actually, I think one. So that's Mike Thomas's biggest thing. So that doesn't really fit. So I think some of those things actually fit Andy Dalton a little bit better than Jameis. So I'd say he's he's serviceable. I don't know if they have like a, you know, hurt Jameis and, and Andy Dalton. I don't think either one of them is, you know, quote unquote good, like in the sense of like you're good with who you have at quarterback. But I think they can get by with with Andy this week if all that other stuff gets fixed. Yeah, that was interesting. I was looking at some of the splits. Now, this is it's small sample size with week four, but looking at week four compared to weeks one and three, as you would know, there's there was the offense looked better, at least statistically. I didn't watch all four games like like you did, but like, yeah, fewer looks like fewer turnovers. It was like EPA per drive, you know, uh, an efficiency metric. They were much better uh, in London with Dalton. So what what are the differences between an Andy Dalton led Saints offense and a Jameis Winston uh, led Saints offense? So they got like way more rhythm, I think, with with Dalton out there. And maybe they would have got there with, with Jameis too. Like, I think part of it's kind of finding the identity, calling plays without Sean Payton, all that stuff. But he looked really good out there. Um, outside of, he, he fumbled once and almost threw an interception. I mean, that's just kind of the experience with the the Saints this year. But um, 
Yeah, it, it, it was more rhythm-based offense. And, and I think that's kind of the thing that they were lacking. And with Jameis, it was kind of big play hunting. And some of that's him and some of that's the play calling too. And when you have someone that can throw the ball like him, like his deep ball is his one really good trait. And obviously he's hurt. He has the back injury. So some of that stuff was off and they just kept taking shots. Like week two, they tried six times to go down the field to, to Chris Olave before they hit on it the seventh time. And then he fumbles. So it was just kind of like a really disjointed approach. And I think with Dalton, it just kind of, it just kind of fits a little bit better with their identity, with the the playbook built for Drew Brees. I think just a lot of that stuff you can kind of tap into with Andy Dalton. So it is different. And, you know, I, I do think that it's more sustainable. Like he's someone that I can lead him on 10, 12 play drives. Whereas with Jameis, yeah, he can do that, but I don't think it's quite as consistent and you need some of those big plays. So just with the the possession receivers, and I think Chris Olave is someone too that's really good short and intermediate as well as going deep. So there's just a lot of different ways they can uh, tap into those weapons. The question is this week, Jarvis Landry was out there like at the beginning of practice and then he disappeared. They listed him as limited. So I don't know if he's going to play. And then, um, you know, Mike Thomas probably isn't going to play either. So do they have enough weapons to really get that going? But, um, you know, last week without Mike or Alvin, it, it looked good. And, and I think they can continue to sustain that. It's just staying out of those mistakes, letting the defense play well. And, um, you know, I think that that's, that's a, the big difference between the two guys. Yeah, most people, not most people, pretty, everyone's just so used to associating the Saints with Sean Payton, you know, and just seeing somebody else uh, on the sideline just kind of, it just, it threw me off a little bit when I was watching the, the London <laughs> game. Uh, there was an interesting note I found, uh, one of our stats guys, the Athletic found, he said, New Orleans leads the NFL in its share of dropbacks um, that have been true dropbacks, 86%. So that's, you know, like not screens, you know, not play action stuff. I thought that was very fascinating. Um, to see, I don't know how much that's like Jameis versus Andy or, or whatever, but it led me to ask you this: what what impact has Dennis had, you know, on the offense in particular? Does is there an identity, you know, with a Dennis offense? Can you tell yet? So on that stat, the reason I think it would probably be that is they've been behind so much in every single game; they can't run the ball. That takes play action out of the mix, so it is all just straight dropbacks. And again, like he just doesn't like the screen game; just doesn't work with Jameis. It's, it's the weirdest thing. Last year, actually, I think it was it wasn't until the Seattle game. Like they couldn't get the ball to Alvin, and then all of a sudden they've made it a priority in that game. And and Alvin came to life in the passing game, and then Jameis gets hurt the next week against the Bucks, and it was just kind of over from there. So one time in like all his starts, there was like an effective Alvin Kamara plan, and otherwise he was just missing from the offense. So it just a really uh bizarre situation. It, it, as far as Dennis. You know, I don't think he's really impacted the offense too much. And, and the carryover from Pete Carmichael, who's been with the staff since, I think, 2009, uh, as the OC underneath Sean Payton, a lot of stuff is, is is basically the same. The one thing that I've noticed that's been a little bit different, and I don't know, if it, again, if it's because they've been behind in so many games and they're they're in their hurry-up set, so you can't do a lot of it, but, like, their motion in the offense has really come down especially on opening drives are like 38% of their plays. They use motion. Whereas before it was like over 50%. So there's just been like a, a couple little things where you see a, a little bit of a, you know, one guy's stamp is different from another. Um, and they also don't really run the ball out of 11 personnel anymore, which is really weird to me too. Cause I think you get Alvin Kamara against six man boxes and hit them with the screens on some run them on others. Like that, that was one of the things that they did really, really well. Um, 2017, 2018, uh, when Alvin was kind of, you know, at his best in the passing game. But um, yeah, mostly it's the same. Like the, the major difference with the Saints, like honestly being around them and you just even feel it from a media perspective. 
it's just looser. Like it's just a looser environment. I don't know if that's a good thing now. You you kind of see the results, but um, you know, some of the stuff that they used to be like really uptight about, some of it was really needless. And um, it's good to see that loosen up. But I think they do need to figure out how to introduce some of that pressure back onto the field just so guys stop making mistakes. And you know, at some point somebody says got a role for fumbling or, or having a false start or something. You mentioned Chris Olave and he is looking his stats say he's doing really well through the first four weeks of the season. And I'll just ask you first straight up, is there any hope for the Seahawks secondary to try to slow him down, especially after what the Detroit Lions did to the Seahawks secondary? Yeah, he, he's been really impressive. He's someone he's just he's just always open. You know, he he, he runs really great routes. Um, and just seeing him, the effect of like some of these deep passes, like him getting on the field a lot, even even when he doesn't catch him, like he's open and the passes have been off the mark. You kind of see people defending him a little bit differently too. Kind of, you got to sit back to make sure he isn't going deep, and he he's just so precise with with how he runs his routes that like he can cut those off and then get open quickly over the middle and stuff like that. So I, I expect him to keep playing well, but you know it, it's it's easier for him to get open when you have everybody out there too, and they're worried about Mike Thomas. Like Mike Thomas, when he's out there, he's drawing double teams, so Olave isn't, and that kind of helps as well. So. If Jarvis and Mike are hurt and you can focus on Chris Olave a little bit more, I think, you know, that there's a chance of it. Um, but I think, you know, he's he's gonna do his damage, he's gonna get open. And if if either of these quarterbacks were just like a hair more accurate going down the field, he'd probably be leading the league in in receiving yards. He's I think eighth right now. And, and there's easily two hundred yards on the field and just inaccurate passes where he was wide open. So he's been really, really good. That's maybe like the one bright spot on their offense this year. Well, the one bright spot on the Seahawks defense is rookie Tariq Woolen. He's shown that he's pretty special. And I'm thinking about this matchup between Chris Olave and Tariq Woolen. Who would you say has the advantage? You just gave him some love. So do you think Tariq can hang with him? Or do you think Chris comes out and he keeps on this good season he's had so far through four games? I think he'll, I think he'll have a solid game. You know, is it is it a hundred yards or something like that? I don't know, but I mean, he I think he's going to get his catches and probably feel pretty decent um, about what he's doing. But yeah, I mean, that's going to be a, a good test. And you know, I'm, I would be interested to see like what he does just from like an academic perspective. And I, I do think Jarvis is going to find a way to to play in this game. Uh, he kind of did the uh, same practice schedule last week, and then by the end of the week, he was uh, healthy. But um, I would be interested to see what he can do when he is the guy that the defense is like, all right, we're going to take him out. And, and you know, you kind of put the best player on him, give a little safety help. Like we haven't really seen that matchup yet, but just based on history, he's just someone that's going to find a way to get open. So I think, I think he's going to feel okay about what he does uh, by the end of this game. Now I think Mike's going to throw to an over under here. Mike, you ready for that one? Uh, yes, uh, I am. I'm excited for this matchup too. I think the saints are like 11th in uh, how, how often they play man. Um, or no, no, the, the Seahawks are pretty low, excuse me, in how uh, often they play man. Uh, got that mixed up. But like the few snaps we get with Tariq on, I think it's what's, what's Olave's number? 12? Is that right? Yeah. So yep. The snaps we get with 27 on 12 are going to be very interesting. But so the over under for this week uh, will be uh, Chris Olave receiving yards. I got it at 85 and a half. Taking the over or the under on that? I think the under, I mean, that's a big number. You know, I think you can have a good game and it's 70 yards, 60 yards, you know. So 85 is a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm taking the under for sure. All right. Write, write that down, Chris. Uh, it's noted. 
We don't we don't do the over and we just make the guests do those. You know? we'll, 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 we'll die with you on the predictions if we have to. But John, you know, over. All right, Chris, what else we got? I want to flip sides and go defense because the one thing that stands out to me is Marshawn Lattimore. He and DK. I don't know if they got beef, but the last time they played, they were going at it. Every play seemed like there was pushing and shoving, and I don't mind watching it. It's very it's very fun to see, and DK is one of those guys that was building a lab, and Marshawn don't back down from nobody. He holds Mike Evans to zero yards. <laughs> <laughs> he faces DK. It's a little different. So I want to hear your thoughts on this matchup and who has the advantage this week, especially with – the Saints offensively, they're struggling. So the defense is going to be tasked and maybe make a play here and there. Can Marshawn step up to the plate and maybe get an interception, maybe force a fumble, do something impactful in this game? He needs to. And look, I, honestly, like I think he needs to keep his cool a little bit better this time. Like last year, it was a, a really fun game to watch, but DK definitely got him out of character and, and you know, baited him into a couple penalties. And it's just, it just can't go there again. And I actually thought he covered well after that first, uh, what do you have, like a 90-yard touchdown or something yeah, like that? 84-yard touchdown yeah. in the first quarter. Yeah, and then after that, I thought he I thought he actually covered him pretty well. The impact was, was minimal after that one play. So I think um, he can hang with him. And I'd be surprised if if he doesn't come out and, and have that type of game again. He's somebody that, that really kind of gets up and down based on the opponent. And that's the story of his career. Like, he plays his best against really good players. And Mike Evans, there's he just finds another gear because – He's pissed when he takes the field. I think he's going to be pissed going against DK this week and coming off kind of a, a, a shaky performance against Justin Jefferson. Actually, I mean, they got him on the the got to have a play at the end of the game. So I think he's he's going out there with something to prove. And when he has that chip on his shoulder, he looks really good. But, you know, obviously one play can change the whole outlook of the thing, just like it did last time. But I don't think... Um, He's going to get bullied, and I think he just has to stay. He just has to keep his cool. Like, he can't he can't do the stuff he did last time and uh, end up in, in one of those situations again. Yeah. What was the corner's name, that punch dude, in the, um, uh, Johnson? Oh, my gosh, I'm drawing a blank. The Finnegan? cornerback? Say again? Finnegan? No, not he Finnegan? Plays on the Saints. He, oh, about oh my the Chauncey God. dude. They, yes. They got rid of him. Oh, Chauncey Gardner Johnson. Yeah, yeah. He's gone? He's with Philadelphia now. Yeah, they oh, traded okay. him. Okay, because I was like, he lost his corner. <laughs> <laughs> that went crazy. That went left, but okay. He's no longer there, so that's fine. One matchup, another thing, not a matchup, but just a player that you, the Saints picked up is the Honey, ba- honey Badger and Tyron Matthew. And his impact, has it been effective? Are the Saints getting what they thought they would get out of him so far this season? It's been kind of weird, man, honestly. like it, It's been a little up and down. Uh, there's some missed tackles. Some of the coverage has been spotty, but he's uh, recovered a fumble and he has an interception in four games. So it kind of offsets a little bit. I think they're still looking for a little bit more of that consistency though. And, and, you know, just he, he missed a tackle that led to a touchdown two weeks ago last week. He was kind of out of position on a screen a little bit. It, it would have been a tough play. So I think it's just kind of, kind of settling in, figuring out how it fits. But I would say to this point, their safety play has probably been a slight downgrade from where it was a year ago when they had uh, Marcus Williams and Malcolm Jenkins, and now it's it's Honey Badger and uh, Marcus May. And Marcus May was was injured, so that's probably a little bit unfair to make that comparison at this point. But um, I don't. I think it's still a little bit of a work in progress. At some point, I think that is going to click, and that that could be the the strength of the team. But I think they're still just kind of finding that identity a little bit back there uh, to this point. 
So in other words, let me write this down. You think that Will Disley will continue his hot streak so far with, <laughs> with 12 catches, 116 yards, and three touchdowns. All right. Noted. <laughs> so I'm gonna, I say that. I got I to ask why we have someone out here who covers Marshawn Lattimore, man. What is the, what's the origin of the beef between him and Mike Evans? Even better, yes. Yeah, I think it's just kind of a history of, of a lot of trash talk and, and – you know, a little bit of egos and, and the fan base really kind of down here, like really likes to go after Mike Evans. So I think that kind of spills over as well. And, you know, I think it's just kind of kind of one of those things. Like, I think Marshawn just kind of looks for reasons to to get motivated for for certain matchups. And the way he plays him is is unbelievable. Like, if you only watch these games, like you wouldn't think much of Mike Evans, but this dude's going to make the Hall of Fame probably. I think he has like, what, 8,000 yard seasons in a row. Right. He's one of the better receivers in the league without question. And, you know, just more times than than not, Marshawn just kind of shuts him down and just keeps doing it. And I think it's just become a source of frustration. And, um, you know, even in, like in the NFL 100 videos, you watch them and, and Mike Evans' comments are just like, they're just they're petty man like they, they just can't they can't stand each other and um you know two fights now it's just it's just one of the better rivalries uh in the league and and you know they they, they were kind of smart to get Marshawn knocked out of that last game I don't know you know if they took advantage of an opportunity or what but as soon as he left the guy that replaced him Tom Brady throws at the replacement they scored and the Saints get behind Jameis you know fell apart after that a little bit but uh that was that was the key to that game, and they could easily be two and two if there hadn't been that fight. But Tampa definitely got the better of that one, uh, just given the circumstances. Yeah, their their beef is one of my favorites. It's really because, like you said, like yeah. me and Chris are big on watching receivers and DBs. Like we we really enjoy it. And yeah, if you only watch Marshawn Lattimore versus Mike Evans, you would think Marshawn Lattimore is a second coming to Deion Sanders, and you would <laughs> no. think Mike Evans is a practice squad player. <laughs> He's had games with zero catches <laughs> against against that. It's cat. crazy. I think one of the NFL 100 videos you're referencing is the one where is they got one where I think they say uh, someone says that the Saints Marshawn had a good game against you. I think that's the question presented and it cuts the person off like no no no, their defense had a good game against yeah. you. Had a good scheme, not Marshawn. It's like brother, you had like one catch. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it was, they were good against you. Uh, we talked to DK earlier today. We're recording this on Wednesday. He doesn't. It doesn't sound like he has a problem with with Marshawn Lattimore or anything like that. So it may not be as chippy as last time. But yeah, man, Marshawn Lattimore against Mike Evans is quite is probably the best cornerback in NFL history. Like specifically <laughs> against that dude, uh, it, it's pretty crazy. I want to expand it to, to the to the defense at large. You know, last year uh, I, I remember tweeting about it in real time. The Seahawks plan running the ball against the Saints. It seemed like they treated Demario Davis like he's not very good. Or that they just thought they could get by him or something, and they were highly, highly mistaken. He kicked their ass uh, all game. How is the run defense this year? You know, is it as just good as last year, which was honestly one of the best in football? It's been weird. You know, they, they've given up two hundred yard rushers already, which is something that they really, they really haven't done. Like they had this really long streak. I don't know how many games it was, but it was multiple seasons where like a single individual didn't hit hundred yards and. And, you know, they, they've they've not been there quite yet this season. Um, I think week one was just kind of a tough matchup. Like the Saints, for whatever reason, cannot defend the read option, you know, and, and they just get torn apart by Jalen Hurts and Mariota. Week one just did the same thing and, and they struggled against it. So um, <clears throat> I think some of that was matchup based. They've gotten a little bit better with it. Uh, their interior 
defensive line is is a little bit shaky right now. David Onyemata really hasn't gotten back to the level that he was at two years ago. Um, Shai Tuttle's been solid, but they got this other guy, Malcolm Roach. He just returned from IR today. We'll see if he plays. If he gets back, that would help a little bit. Their linebackers, though, uh, you mentioned the Mario Davis really good. Pete Werner arguably might be the best player on this team right now. Um, he's been unbelievable playing uh, weak side linebacker. Last week, he he had one playing coverage. He was kind of dropping back in his own and tripped Paulson Adebo, and it allowed Justin Jefferson to get free for a, a long game. But outside of that one moment, he has been just stellar. Everywhere the ball is, he's there. Uh, his coverage been, has been really good. So if they uh, you know just tighten up a little bit and kind of get back to, to that elite level, and when I'm talking about like a down, they're still really good against Ron, but like they were so elite for so long even seeing, you know, a little bit is kind of like, wow, what's going on? So I think they can get back to that level. And, um, you know, it, it will be because of those linebackers and, and, you know, it's just getting a little bit tighter uh, defensive line. And and I think they'd be there. Is, uh, is, is Warner number, he's number 20 on film. Number 20. Yeah. Yeah. No, okay. He's nice. Yeah. He, he is. Nice. Yeah. He's real good to, to take him as well. Yeah. That, hopefully the Seahawks don't make that same mistake. They can uh, get it. The Saints linebackers is some punks because that was <laughs> I swear the whole the whole scheme was like, yeah, we're just gonna screw 56. We're right at him. It's like, no, sir, you cannot. Not not today, <laughs> uh, at least. That, that they shut that run game down. And then that same game uh last year was a really bad day for Seattle's O-line. You know, like Dwayne Brown was had been consistently their best lineman, and Marcus Davenport just put put Dwayne on his back, you know, like it was bad. You know, I think Gino ended up getting rid of the ball, so it wasn't like a highlight real sack or anything, but that was one of those plays where Seahawks probably like, hey man, uh, we don't know if 76 is coming back next year if he's if Davenport's doing that to him. Um, so I was interested to see. All right, let me look at the Saints pressure number. How are they looking? Like dead last in pressure rate according to True Media, 22nd in sacks, 29th in QB hits. Um, you know, blitzing I think at the third lowest rate. So the the pass rush doesn't seem to be there at least statistically. I haven't watched all the games, but what what are you seeing? And and maybe is this is this the week it comes to life against two rookie tackles, albeit two rookie tackles who have played well so far? Yeah. So the first two weeks, week one, they didn't they didn't come after Mariota at all. Um, it was just kind of the game plan. You know, they they didn't. I think they sent five one time that whole game, and they didn't run any stunts, twists, anything on the line. You know, this fear of allowing a rushing lane for uh, Mariota to to get out of. So. That was just a very conservative approach. Week two, like they were kind of starting to get there a little bit against Brady. And then you look at his his numbers and he was getting rid of the ball, I think, in like an average of 2.3 seconds the whole entire game. Uh, and, you know, obviously you got a lot of 1.7s, 1.8s in there to, to make up for it. So it was just really hard to get after him. Uh, it started to come alive a little bit week three. And then last week, I, I thought it was probably their, their best week rushing the passer. Cam Jordan had a game that kind of reminded you like, all right, he's he could still be that guy. Uh, Davenport was was dominant. He almost got there a couple times, almost forced an interception with with the pressure. So it, it, it's coming, and I think they had three sacks. So um, it, it's coming together. The pass rush is still there. I think it's just kind of circumstantial, small sample size. But over time, I think that pass rush is, is going to be exactly where it's been the last few years. All right, that's another interesting matchup to see today. Abe Lucas on the right, Seattle's right tackle, who's a rookie, third-round pick, and then Charles Cross, who they took ninth overall, played left tackle. They've been they've been pretty solid. I think three sacks given up between the two, uh, zero on Abe's part and three on Charles's part. Uh, I'm excited to see that. Yeah, if, if, Marcus, if Marcus Davenport is a strong-ass dude, I don't know where he ranks oh, he is. Nick among like the strongest guys on the Saints, but 
people just don't put Dwayne Brown on his back, man. Like it, Marcus is a strong ass cat, man. I'm impressed. How, have you, how, how impressed have you been with him just as, as long as he's been on the Saints? Yeah, he's he's unbelievable. And he went from like 270 to 300. Like he's he's just a massive guy now. And he's and he's incredibly fast, athletic. He uh, he also had to get one of his uh, fingers amputated and he had like this nerve issue in it. And now that's like allowed him to be more violent with his hands, because like before when he was hitting somebody felt like his whole like hand was on fire. So that that's gone now, too. So I think he's really going to come to to life uh, going forward and. He's he's been there, but I think there's just still room for him to get even better. He came into the league like really, really raw, and it took a little bit of time for him to kind of get that plan to go along with the uh, sheer athleticism and, and strength. And he was just kind of killing people for a couple of years on bull rushes, but like now you kind of see him setting up moves, doing some different things, and and just really kind of coming into his own as a pass rusher. The big issue with him just over his career has been health, and if he can stay healthy, and I think weirdly enough, losing that finger is gonna gonna help with that he can start to to really just achieve all that potential and become really, really consistent. Um, last year when he was out, like you even just saw like his impact affecting everybody else. Like Cam Jordan was doing nothing when, when Davenport was out, Davenport comes back, starts drawing some attention, getting double teams. Now everybody else is getting after the passer and, and their numbers go up and, and, you know, just as a, as a group, they got uh, a lot better just with him being present. And I mean, I think that's kind of one of those, measures of like true talent. Like, can you make everybody better just by being on the field? And he's definitely one of those guys. And, um, you know, Dennis Allen talks about him as, as being the best player on the team. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's just, he's just really good contract year. It's going to be interesting to see what he gets paid, just given those health concerns. But I think when he is healthy and, and doing all the things he can do, he's, he's as good as anybody that, uh, is rushing the passer. Oh, we, we'll get you out of here, Nick, but you can't just drop off. A guy had his finger amputated and we not come back to that. Like, what? Hold on here. What? Which finger does he not have anymore? It was a pinky and he lost like half of it. So it wasn't a whole finger. It was a pinky finger. Um, but yeah, he, he, it was like multiple years. He was just dealing with this nerve issue and they they kept doing surgery on it and it got infected and got to the point where they, they took it off. And it's weirdly like a thing that that's better for him now because he, he just doesn't have this pain or this finger that's you know kind of crooked and everything so uh he, he can just really jam that hand into people and and not really worry about the impact so uh yeah he showed up this year at camp with just half a finger and you know that's <laughs> just how he's going now i guess yeah and on episode 20, 2022 of uh football players are built different uh yeah marcus just shows up <laughs> uh and then gets better you know that that's that's insane man that We'll, we will edit on that note, man. Thank you, Nick, uh, for joining us. Before we let you out officially, plug anything you got. Where can people find your work? Where can they follow you on social media? Give, give people more of uh, Nick Underhill. Where can they find you? Yeah, just NewOrleans.Football is the website. Instagram, same name. Nick underscore Underhill on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on here. Oh, man. Absolutely. Thank you, Thank you so much, and I will, uh, I'll see you in New Orleans, man. You see, I don't have to drive me, you can say that for your mama, maybe you should smoke some and try the marijuana, I was never you good, the vibe was straight, showed you a couple of things and they finished change, I treated you right, everything was a gift, from a time to your bag, and the color on your lip, gave you plenty of
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.